Well, we are Parallel Church. I love being a part of Parallel Church, can I tell you? Because our whole vision is to come alongside. Just like Jesus came alongside. Just like God came alongside. And you know, we're, we're not too, well, we don't wanna be too religious. Can I tell you that? Sometimes we're not that religious. We're just normal people. But the one thing that we want is we wanna love Jesus. We want to share what we found in Jesus. And that's why we're here. That's why we come. That's why we're a part of what we're doing. And if you're new here this morning, I especially want to welcome you. And I'd like to welcome all the people who may be tuning in from maybe our other sites because we are one church in five locations. I sound like I'm coming from heaven at the moment, but that's okay. I'd like to welcome our Lloydminster campus with Pastor Mike and Kara, our Okotoks campus with Pastors Joel and Tanisha, our Claire's Home campus with Pastors Brian and Heidi, our Tabor campus with Pastors Renee and Jill, and our Lethbridge campus uh, right here with Pastor Ralph and Cindy, man. Awesome, and also our online campus with Pastor Tim and Jen. And I can see that there's some people who are watching this morning. See Tess and Hope and Deborah and George and Annabelle and Russell and Darlene and Pastor Phil and Arthur and Dawn and Megan. Guys, welcome. It's so good to be together here on Sunday morning. Well, we are in the middle of a series called Rooted. And we've been using two passages to kind of base this whole series on. And uh, uh, the first is found in Colossians and then the other is found in Ephesians. And they're both written by the apostle Paul to churches that he worked with and to people that he loved. And so, so there's a real care in his heart when he's praying this. In Colossians 2, chapter 6, or 2, chapter 6, that's, that's the big verse 6, we'll go with that. Um, so then, you... Just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Isn't that great? I mean, I could probably just stop right there and we'd be good for the morning, but it gets better uh, because the next one is from a prayer that Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. And this is, this is what he says, and I pray for you that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Wow, that's a great prayer. I mean, if you want to just up your prayer life. Just take and pray that for someone every morning um, and you, you'll, you'll, you'll take off. But we're talking today about roots and roots are really important. I, I like to garden. And uh, one of the things that, uh, that I've noticed is that roots uh, at least equal the size of the plant. And then you get some roots like dandelions. Have you, have you ever tried to get a dandelion out? Like the plant is this big and the root is this big and uh, like it takes forever to get those things out but but roots are so important because it's where the plant draws its life from 
right? And if you don't have root, you're not going to have fruit. And I have a, uh, an apple tree that I planted in my garden. And uh, I got it a couple years ago. And it was that really hot, dry summer. And even trying to dig into the ground was, was, was hard. And I didn't want that kind of shock for the plant. So it spent the whole summer in a bucket, right? Just sitting there in a bucket. And, and, and it just, it, it, its roots didn't have anywhere to go. I made sure it was watered and, you know, it leafed out and it, it was okay. And then I came to the fall and I planted it in the ground. And uh, uh, I, I watered it in. I did all the things you're supposed to do. And then it came to springtime. And about this time of year, I like to go out and look at the tree. And it had these tiny little buds on it, and the ends looked like they were dry. I thought the thing was going to die on me, honestly, because it, it was just sitting in the ground, but it didn't really have that root system because I planted it in the fall. And it, it, was, it, it sprung up, and then this, this, this summer it was like a Charlie Brown Christmas tree, right? But the apple version. There was just a few leaves here and there, no blossoms, no nothing. Um, but... It's had a year now where it's sat in the ground and it's began to develop its root systems. And now I'm seeing some buds like this on my apple tree when I went out to expect it this week. And that's the power of roots. When you've got a root system, it's going to allow you to grow, to be strong, and to bear fruit in your life. And that's what we want for you uh, where we are. Now, last couple of weeks, we've been talking a little bit about understanding God. Um, he's the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the ever-present, the one from whom all fatherhood derives its name. And we talked a little bit about Jesus, God who became flesh and dwelt with us. The one who was crucified and resurrected. The one who made a way for us to be reconciled with God. The one who makes us righteous. And now today, we're going to talk about this entity called the Holy Spirit. And I just want to say right off that anytime we mention the Holy Spirit, people just get weird. Okay, it just happens. Um, but... Can I say it, it's, it's okay because it's a weird thing, okay? It's a weird thing to talk about anybody uh, as the Holy Spirit or anything as the Holy Spirit. Um, it, it's just kind of weird because of the words. So I thought maybe I'll change the words. And I, I, I love languages. So I thought the first thing I'm going to do is jump to our second language here in Canada, which is French. And uh, so, so I, I thought, why don't we call him the Saint-Esprit? Uh, and I thought, that sounds really nice. But it sounds more like a really high-end fizzy drink, right? Something that I would go to a boutique and get. So I thought, well, maybe, maybe something a little bit more down-to-earth. Um, I, I like German as well. German's a good language. It's, it's a fun language. In fact, my favorite number in the world to, world to say is actually in German, which is number 555. I mean, who doesn't like to say 555? I mean, that is, that is so much fun. I mean, you can just walk around saying that all day um, as, as, as you're going along. So the word in German is Heilige Geist, which um, is literally Holy Ghost. And ghosts, I don't know about you, but they're kind of scary. And so I, I thought, well, maybe we should avoid this one. And, and this weekend also happens to be Chinese New Year, right, which is awesome. And uh, I, I love that. So I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to go for, with Mandarin because I know a little bit of Mandarin. And um, we'll, we'll call him Xianning. And I thought, Xianning, oh, that sounds really nice. I like the way that comes off my, my tongue. And I looked up the character and I had Kale put it on the wall here for you because it looks so fantastic. It looks like Space Invaders. 
All right, I don't know whether you remember that game where they're coming down on you. And, 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 and there's just that kind of tension that, that, that's coming. Is that thing going to sit on me? And then I kind of stared at the second character for a while. And that looks kind of like one of those kabuku masks that the Japanese have. And, and that's just kind of scary. And so I thought, I'm just going to abandon all that stuff. And we're just going to call him the Holy Spirit. Is, is that okay? All right. So over the years, I've come to realize that the Holy Spirit is the most misunderstood, the most ignored, the most forgotten, and the most disregarded character that we see in Christendom. And so we're going to look at the Holy Spirit together today and find out a little bit more about who he is. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, Paul writes this, Concerning the things of the Spirit, brothers, I do not wish you to be ignorant. And the word uh, ignorant here is the Greek word agnoeon, and it's the word we actually get the word agnostic from. So that's somebody who doesn't know where they sit in their faith. And literally what this word means is to not recognize, to not know about, to be unacquainted with. And Paul thought that the Holy Spirit was important enough that we as the church should learn to recognize him to learn to know about him, and most importantly, to become acquainted with him. So I want you to understand this. So I'm going to give you a real practical example here, uh, just to kind of ground us. Um, Most of us took science in school, um, and so you'll know that the smallest particle of matter that we can call something that's distinct and definite or an element is an atom. Right? So, so, so we know that. And I have a, a wonderful picture here of an oxygen atom that you're going to see up on the screen. And this is really cool because it's one atom that has three really distinct components. It has eight protons, eight neutrons, and eight electrons. And the red balls I've got up there are the protons. And protons actually define what this element is is. Um, The number of protons will tell us because that becomes the atomic number of that that particular element. So if the proton number changes, then the element changes. So if I get nine protons, this is not oxygen anymore, it's fluorine. If I get eight, it's nitrogen, okay? Also in the nucleus, we have another uh, object there, which are the blue balls, um, and they are uh, called neutrons. And these have kind of a neutral charge. Uh, they're, they're there to make sure that, that everybody doesn't come rushing in or rushing out. Um, they hold things together, and they're the kind of mediator between things. And then we have those white stripes you see flying around the outside that represent the electrons. Man, they're going so fast, I can't actually catch them as little dots, right? We just see them uh, as, as, as a cloud moving around things. And uh, electrons are really cool. They're, they're, they're kind of crazy little things, um, but they have some really unique properties. Where the nucleus remains stable, the electrons are always moving. They're always in motion. Um, they can actually leave the atom and come back again. And they don't change the nature of that atom. If, if, if we lose an electron, that's okay. It's still oxygen. Um, if we get another oxygen, uh, uh, electron back, it's still oxygen. When we have a flow of electrons, it becomes what we call electricity. And this is a real cool thing about electrons. And, and we're starting to get into quantum stuff, which is weird, but it's okay. Um, electrons can actually exist in two places at the same time. Isn't that bizarre? Like, these are so fascinating. I mean, we could go on talking about them for years, but this is not science class. This is church. So what I'm going to do is I want to bring it back to using this atom 
to understand how we see God. Because in the middle, we have the protons, and they represent God the Father. Just as protons are the determining factor that determine the nature of the atom, so God the Father defines who God is. He is the I am, the all-sufficient, the creator, the redeemer. And then we have the neutrons, which I, I see as Jesus, uh, the mediator, the one who's standing in between, just not just in, the, in, in this situation here, but between God and man. But it's him, in him, who all things hold together. And if you look in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, this is what Paul writes. He said, he is before all things, speaking of Jesus, and in him all things hold together. And then we have the electrons. They represent the Holy Spirit. They are the expression of God in motion, able to come and go as he wants, able to direct his power in any direction or circumstance where he feels, able to break the laws of nature like the electron so that he can accomplish his purpose. All right, now I want to introduce you to the hydrogen atom. To be honest, hydrogen atoms are a little wimpy. There is little that holds these things together. They have a really low atomic weight. If um, it has one electron that's just going around there and, and it's, it's only just hanging in there. It would like to have two that might help it to stabilize, but it is one of the most unstable elements we have. I wish I had a balloon full of it right now um, and I could just take a match and you could watch it blow up. That would be fantastic, but we have insurance concerns and Pastor Kelly won't let me, okay? So, um, so, so I, I, I would love to do that, but I want to just take for a moment and let the hydrogen atom represent us as humans. And there's something very unique that happens when a hydrogen atom starts to come in relationship with an oxygen atom. You see, the oxygen will actually loan the hydrogen an electron. And in fact, if you have two hydrogen atoms that come close, it will share electrons with both of these and they make a stable compound called water. And I would love to have another balloon that's a water balloon and hold a match to it and uh, watch it just collapse right here because you can't light it on fire. It's stable. And the Holy Spirit is the entity through which God comes alongside us to loan his strength, his power, his stability, and to change our nature. Jesus described this in John 14, 16. He said, I will ask the Father, and he will send you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The word advocate in the Greek here is the word parakletos, which means one who is called to come alongside to walk with you, to actually represent you, to add their power to your power, to add their voice to your voice. And this is the essence of who the Holy Spirit is. His mission is to come alongside. So let's talk a little bit about how we experience the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to put up a diagram that most of you guys have seen if you've been around here any uh, time before. This is a table and chairs. It may not look like it, but this is what it is. And it describes our discipleship progress. Uh, and it's the way that we use to uh, define how discipleship works um, in parallel churches. And um, we draw it from John chapter 1, verses 2, where the apostle writes this, I'm writing to you, little children, because you are 
are forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children because you know the father. I have written to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I've written to you young men because you are strong. The word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So each of the chairs on this diagram represent a different place where we're at in our journey. So you've got the chair that's off from the table. That's somebody who maybe, maybe you're here and you're, you've just come here. You don't know anything much about God, but you're interested. You're, you're open to the message or you're open to the messenger uh, about Jesus. The second chair that's right up at the table, that's when we make a decision to follow Jesus. And as we grow, we move into that little child stage where we learn about the Father, we learn about forgiveness of our sins. Then we move to the young man stage where we learn to become strong in the Word of God, understand who God is, and begin to start to take care of ourselves and other people. And then we become fathers, where we're actually helping other people grow, helping other people be born into the kingdom of God. One of the things I'm going to tell you right now is how we experience the Holy Spirit depends on where we sit around the table, where we are in our spiritual growth. In the original languages, the word Holy Spirit uh, we have in Hebrew is ruach, and you have to say it with the back of your throat because it's Hebrew, <laughs> okay? Uh, all right, um, and, and, and the other word is pneuma, which is uh, in Greek. And both of these are used to describe a movement of air, a wind, a breath. And the very first mention that we have of this word is found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. And it says this, Now the earth became formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit, the wind of God, the very breath of God, rippled over the waters. This is just such a great picture of our first experience with the Holy Spirit. Because he's, he's like, like a wind, just Now, what's really cool about the wind is you can see the effect of the wind, but you don't see the wind itself. And if you were visiting Lethbridge and you had no idea what wind was, can I tell you, things would look very strange. I mean, can you imagine walking down the street and all of a sudden the trees start waving back and forth? Like, like this, and then all of a sudden, you're, you're just standing there, and this plastic bag comes floating right across in front of your face. I, I mean, you would think that this is such a strange thing, and a lot of times, we see the effects of the Holy Spirit, but we don't understand the force behind the effect. And because we don't understand the force behind the effect, we say, this is weird. I'm not sure I understand this. I'm not sure how to work with this. So we're going to talk a little bit about that because Ruach and Pneuma are more than just moving air. They also describe breath. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we see something amazing happen. It says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, while the word ruach is not actually used in this scripture because it's a noun, we have the verb to breathe 
um, that's used here. And what we see is the act of God breathing, sending his breath, his ruach into the man to bring him to life. And just as the Holy Spirit had a part to play naturally in bringing mankind to life, he also plays a part in us coming alive spiritually. In John chapter 3, we see a man named Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night because he was an important man in the religious community and he didn't want to be seen, but there was something in his heart that he wanted to understand who Jesus was. He wanted to become a Jesus follower, but he was scared because of his position. So he came at night and he was talking to Jesus. And Jesus told him this. He said, I tell you the truth, unless you are born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus quite rightly in my respect, because Jesus can be sometimes cryptic, okay? And he says, I don't understand, right? And, and I, it's good because I, I, I read that far and I don't understand either. But this is Jesus' reply. Humans reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. You know, when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, when we put our faith in him and stop trusting in all the things that we do to try and make our life better, the Holy Spirit does something that none of us can do. He actually breathes life into us and we become alive spiritually. And when this happens, it's like us moving from that chair that's on the outside and bellying up to the table because we become part of the family of God. I want to read how Paul describes this because he does it so well. Um, we'll start with Ephesians chapter 2. He says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. And then in Romans, um, Romans chapter 8, a um, phenomenal chapter. I could spend a month just teaching you from, uh, from, from this chapter. But I just want to read, uh, uh, starting at verse 10. It says, now Christ lives his life in you. And even though your body may be dead because of the effects of sin, his life-giving spirit imparts life to you because you are fully accepted by God. Yes, God raised Jesus to life, and since God's spirit of resurrection lives in you, he will also raise your dying body to life by the same spirit that breathes life into you. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into fear of never being good enough, but you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into God's family, and you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirits joining him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved father, for the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. See, this is God at work when we're in that chair of the little children stage because he's letting us know our sins are all forgiven because of what Jesus did and also that you are God's beloved child. 
As we grow in maturity, we move beyond just the state of knowing the Father's love and having, having an understanding that our sins are forgiven. That There's something in us that kind of calls us further, that says there's more to what God has for us, that draws us in. And, and this is a sign that we're starting to move from that little child chair into the young adult chair. And as, as we begin to do this, uh, we begin to shift our focus. There's some things that we start to ask in our heart, like, what's next? What's my mission in life? Is this, a, is this something I should be doing? And Paul put it this way. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. And as we move into this stage, we start to realize the world is bigger than we are. We start to realize that, that if we're going to find purpose, we need to grow. We need to become strong. We need to overcome the evil one. We need to be able to understand the word of God. We need to take on the job of a spiritual adult. And just as the Holy Spirit comes alongside us as spiritual children, the Holy Spirit comes alongside us as we grow into and function as spiritual adults. And it's at this point where people usually have an encounter with the Holy Spirit that changes them forever and deepens their connection with him. It's been called being baptized in the Holy Spirit or being filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the last times that Jesus talked to his disciples, he was talking to them about this. And he says this in Acts chapter 1-8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, not only in Jerusalem, not only in all Judea and Samaria, but to the farthest reaches of the earth. And in Acts chapter 2, we see this promise fulfilled. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And this was a real significant moment for the church and for each of the individuals in that room. Because just like when they accepted Jesus, they knew that something had shifted, that something had changed. They knew that they were different. There was a new boldness that they had. They had a greater understanding of the scriptures that they had at the time and the words of Jesus. They began to get clearer and more direct and more definitive guidance. Their prayer became more effective. They began to see more miracles. They began to experience more persecution. But they were able to endure it with greater grace. And more importantly, everywhere they went, they began to share Jesus. Everywhere they went, churches began to spring up. Everywhere they went, lives were changed by the demonstration of the power of God. And I want to tell you that this encounter with the Holy Spirit is not just for the people of yesterday, that this is something that we can have in our lives today. Um, but we have to do it in the most excellent way. Right. For those Bill and Ted guys, most excellent. OK, um, so but um, in First Corinthians 12, uh, right the way through chapter 14, Paul talks about this and we don't have time to go into all of it. I'm just going to pick a couple of verses here just to get us started. But in First Corinthians 12, 11, he says this. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. And the first thing we need to realize is the manifestations of the Holy Spirit are not for us. They're for other people. They're tools for us to serve other people. With great power comes great responsibility, and we need to be responsible with the gifts that God gives us. 
Now, some people I know want to avoid uh, the gifts of the Spirit because they don't understand them. It's that whole understanding of the force and things. But, you know, one of the things that Paul encourages us to do is eagerly desire the greater gifts. And when he uses the word greater here, it doesn't mean more important, more powerful, more prestigious. What it means is this, more useful. You know, can I tell you, in my lifetime, I've seen a lot of nonsense attributed to the Holy Spirit. And my feeling for myself is that I've, I've been given gifts by the Holy Spirit. I want to use them to serve those around me the best way I can. I want them to have value for the people that I come alongside. So how do we do this? Well, in verse 31 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. And right here, something really unfortunate happens because the guys who are putting the chapters just put a chapter right in the middle of Paul's thought. And we don't let him finish the thought. Um, and so I want to read you what happens next, what he says next. So I want to show you the most excellent way if you're going to serve people with these gifts. He says this, If I speak in the language of men or angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And these are lovely verses that we usually hear at weddings, but that wasn't Paul's purpose in writing this. This passage was given to us to describe our motivation in using the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us. And if we are going to use the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us, it will require that we do it out of a heart of love. And only then will our actions be useful. Only then will they contribute to the common good. Only then will they turn the hearts of men and women towards God. And only then will they build his church. Our takeaway today is this. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us to show us the love of the Father and to empower us to lovingly serve others. Before we wrap up today, I'd like to give you an opportunity to experience the Holy Spirit. Start with basics. I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to allow us to experience the love of the Father. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And I, I, I want us just to, to enjoy his presence softly, gently, not in a weird way, but in a wonderful way. Is that okay? And so I, just as, as, as I lean into this, I want to read to you what Paul wrote. And, and you may even want to just close your eyes and think about it, or you may want to read it as I go along on the screen here. But I want it to sink into your spirit as I read because this is the essence of who the Holy Spirit is. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance enfolding you 
into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. And I want us all just to close our eyes just for a moment. And I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, we want to welcome you with open hearts in this place. Would you just bring wave after wave of the love of the Father to the hearts of people sitting in this room? whatever they've experienced before. Lord, whether they come from no experience or they've had amazing experiences with you. Father, I just ask that you would just come. Just allow them to sense your Holy Spirit. Just as we are in this place, there may be some of you here this morning that feel like you're, you're sitting on, on that, that outside chair. And maybe you are feeling like you may need to make a difference. Maybe somebody brought you here. Maybe you came on your own. Maybe you've been coming for a while. But you sense there's something that's different here this morning. Can I tell you, that's the Holy Spirit. And he's inviting you to come to the table. Come and experience the love of the Father. And we're going to give you an opportunity right now to even take that up a notch. To step up to the table and make that decision to become a Jesus follower. Maybe something you might have considered before, but you've seen stuff in the church that we haven't represented Jesus well. And I, I just want to apologize for that from the bottom of my heart because we know we've made some mistakes. But we're trying to change that because our heart is to be like God, to come alongside. Maybe you, you feel like you're not worthy. Maybe you feel like you got a huge weight in your back and maybe that you screwed up so bad that Jesus could never be your friend. But can I tell you, you couldn't be farther from the truth today. Jesus chose his followers despite their problem. In fact, Jesus went actively looking for people who needed help. People like you, and people like me. And that's why the Holy Spirit tugs on our hearts. 
And today I'm going to give you an opportunity to start this relationship. And it's really simple. Paul says all you need to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you will be saved. We're going to do that right now with a prayer. I'm just going to have you repeat after me. Jesus, I messed up. I've tried doing things my own way, and it hasn't worked. I need you to save me from myself. And right now, I decide to make you Lord of my life. I want to follow you. I declare now, Jesus, you are my Lord. I believe God raised you from the dead so that I can have a new life. My past is past. I'm ready for a fresh start. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. I want you to just keep your eyes closed and just enjoy God's presence. But if you prayed that prayer for the very first time this morning, you made that decision, I'd just love you to just put your hand up and let me know so we can celebrate with you. Just say, say, Jeremy, thank you. Jeremy, I made that decision. I'm ready to come to the table. And we're going to sing a song in a minute. And if you made that decision and you put up your hand or maybe you were too frightened to put up your hand and you made that decision today, we've got a nice little card in the front of your, uh, your seat there. Just pull it out, write your name, make sure your email address is on there so that we can uh, just celebrate this with you, not to, to be anything creepy or anything, but we want to celebrate this decision with you. And you can put that in the offering box. There's also a QR code there on, on that card that you can just go to the church center and fill it in. But we want to be able to celebrate this with you. And if you made that decision, you can go to the desk at the back and get a free Bible that's our gift to you. And Lord, we're just so thankful we can be here today. We just pray your presence would continue with us. In Jesus' name.